Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, hello. Welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gab fest for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex. <sighs> Identity. Oh. Culture. <laughs> <laughs> what we like to read and who we like to read. Food for Thought, slouching towards hell one poop joke at a time. <laughs> oh, no. Wow. What wow. tier of hell is the question, really? <laughs> Yo, I, I actually, I went to the L.A. Philharmonic uh, the other day, and they did uh, Dante's Inferno. So we're definitely, like, in the seventh layer, I think. Oh, my wow. God. Really? Wow. You think we're we're all the way down there with, like, Nancy Reagan and, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're have worse. you seen the news recently? We are absolutely in the seventh layer of hell. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. 100%. only. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's God. be real. Nancy Reagan is the only throat goat who's in hell. It's like the throat goatery is normally good enough to get you into heaven, but really? she is, that is how so works? evil. Is that how hell works? You, yes, you suck. You don't you know that you suck your way to heaven? Are you reviewing all the applications to hell? <laughs> you are the dean of hell. Oh God! I mean. Given my is day it your dick that must be sucked <laughs> to get to heaven? The dean right. of hell, indeed. My goodness. <laughs> So uh, we're recording on Tuesday, just so everyone knows context for why our energy is a little low. And it's yeah. the day after the Supreme Court leak. And we are not doing great. Not doing great. We are, we are in a state. Fried, died, and laid to the side. I am Tommy Teebs Pico, Indigenous American poet, screenwriter, TV writer, and the only pedestrian in Los Angeles. I'm Fran, uh, I'm a writer, I'm an editor, and um, I mean, I'm going to leave this record to go straight to a protest, so, you know. Woo! That's that. I'm Joe Osmondson, scientist, nonfiction writer, and uh, empty husk of a human. Yeah. <laughs> De- I... And Dead had to stop herself from applying. <laughs> Apply- applying some lip balm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm applying a lip scrub because I, what, all of this means I can't be cute at a protest. Yeah, she right. can still be cute. <laughs> I'm Dun Michelle Norris. I'm a reader, writer, former figure skater, and I am livid. <sighs> I am simply livid. I have been on a scale of one to 10. I have been on 15 all day. And um, that is where we are. That is where we are. Well, I'm so glad we could be together to distract and hopefully distract the thoughts at home um, mm-hmm. with disgusting um, abominations of humanity that we are. <laughs> so who who wants to who wants to to, to to say what's on the menu today? I got the I got the menu today. I got the menu today. We are going to finally answer the lifelong question of whether we prefer cut or uncut humans. <laughs> we are going to get into representation, which we should not be talking about anyway. Get get us canceled again, and we end as always with one little bite. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm feeling a little peckish. Uh, I think it's time we start the top of the show the way any good top should, with our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh. And uh, who's amusing our booshes today? I think it's me. I was so depressed last night when the news was coming in, and my day job was trying to hire a sexual harasser for the last week, and... I was just, like, at a loss for what to do. So I have a new game for us called This or That. It is basically the lowest common denominator where we list two things and you unequivocally have to decide which and only which you like. Love that. Very, very simple. Simple concept. Okay, starting off easy. Wine or beer? Well, in the conversation of gay or queer, I would say that beer is queer and wine is gay. Wow, controversial. Yeah, I mean, get you like a nice hoppy IPA that's about 9% ABV. Yeah, that's pretty fucking queer. You know, there's there's something that's very true of like queer culture at large and heterosexual culture, which is that like things that are 
like canonically heterosexual, such as beer, do have a crux where they go all the way around yes. the cycle and become queer again. Um, like queers have co-opted, you know, things like Doc Martens. Um, I don't know, like uh, the aesthetic of construction workers, beer, right, right, you know, like right, right. I think that, yeah, that, that yeah. the circle, the, the, the snake kind of eats its own tail. Wide, wide-legged jeans once again, for yeah. some reason. Wide-legged <laughs> yeah. jeans. Yeah. Yeah. I refuse. I refuse. Pewter jewelry. Get into- if you get into some of those uh, craft beers, they all sound like gay porn titles. They oh do. yeah, haven't we done a game like that was like craft beer or like yes? In, um, in, in, in weeks that I actually cared and had more than two brain cells, <laughs> I, I did the game that was craft beer or uh, porn. Oh, that was a great game. It was a great. That game. would be fun uh, next week. I'll care again next week. We'll do all that right, again. we'll see about that. <laughs> unequivocally, unequivocally, poetry or prose. Ooh. None of no writing whatsoever. <laughs> I say music. At this point, music is better. Yeah, music Team's does p- make you lose control. <laughs> yes, it makes you gay. <laughs> I was just gonna say television. At this point, why are we even turning to the <laughs> <laughs> the written word? Why? dead in the water? Dead uh, failed no, us. Out, she has failed out, us. Twenty twenty-two. Yeah, out. <laughs> Sparkling or still. Um, um, I would say I always always get still. Really, I would say I I prefer still. Sparkling is queer. Still is gay. Wow, (laughs) I feel like sparkling. I mean, we always say like the bubbles make it gay. I mean, well, maybe it's the other way around because, like, I don't know. Sparkling water is kind of fidgety, and queers (laughs) love to fidget. And it makes you burp. It just like immediately gets in your throat, and you're like, oh, I have to burp now, which is kind of like. Uh, how I feel. Well, about. and if you're any indication, then the queers are gaseous after all. Exactly. We are a gaseous kind. All right. Okay. Okay. Controversial. Big balls or small balls? I big love balls. Big, 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 big balls. Giant, low slapping across the face. The low yeah. hanging balls. See, I kind of like I, small little light ones. I, the ones that just kind of attach themselves to the base of the penis. Like they're, yeah. they're just like no, no difference whatsoever. No. I like I, I like I like them to hang so low. It's almost like you have two dicks. It's, oh my it's just, god, Dan! No, <laughs> yeah, That's, cover my whole face with your sack. That is so disgusting. Handwritten or typed? Huh. Oh, I'm so not used to writing by hand anymore. Like same. <laughs> I can barely I, write. Same. I think I think typed by a typewriter oh, is very clear God. to me. Oh, oh my insufferable hipster nonsense. <laughs> if you are at home writing on a typewriter, you can just fucking send your manuscript to whoever's approving Urban Outfitters books right now. You can keep that. No ma'am. I, I recently did the um Sundance Screenwriters Intensive and the workshop leader said we could only write by hand. Five minutes in, I was like you got the cramp. Like, yeah. Like back yeah. when you were doing like essay exams in like yeah. college where you had to be like uh, writing on something about the 19th century French movement of the Huguenots or whatever. And you're like, my hand is cramping. Writing by hand is very yeah. queer in that it's um Painful. incomprehensible. <laughs> Both painful physically and then incomprehensible. Illegible. Both physically painful. <laughs> do do the girls do cursive anymore? Who does cursive? No Sometimes. one does cursive anymore. Is that a thing that people uh, learn? Sometimes. Yeah, do they even teach it in schools? Is I don't the question. know. No. Young thoughts get in our DMs. We need to know young thoughty thoughts. Do you do you still Many learn cursive? Many schools haven't been teaching cursive for at least the last decade. It's wow. tragic. I have no I idea. Okay. A beautiful script is an important skill. Oh, sh- blech, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. One that okay, I'm really Bridgerton. excited about. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Which I've never, still never seen. Um, Dan, that is, you would love. You would love, love, love. I'm true. <laughs> it's such a Den show. It's, uh, I mean, I love a Shonda Rhimes show, so oh God, it makes I sense. Can't, I can't even talk about it. Okay, Christine or everyone else on Selling Sunset? Christine is flop, flop, big mega flop, doo doo caca. Like, absolutely not doing what she needs to be doing on this most recent season of Selling Sunset. I'm you don't sorry. Like it. you don't, I feel like because she's such a villain that you would love her. I love her as a villain, but the thing is, she has, she's lost her, what's made her a dynamic character in the show. You know, seasons one and two start out mm-hmm. really strong, really fierce, like introduced her as a character, but she's so repetitive and I don't think she really knows what she's doing anymore. Um, well, and she's not able to manipulate because none of the girls will film with her. And Chelsea has to taken over as the show's 
tried and true. Vi- like she Correct. is yeah. the one. Well, she's also selling houses, which Christine is not. Yes, which Christine is not. Um, yeah. I have y'all been watching? I have, yes. I'm I saw a few episodes of this. I do think, and this is this is gonna be very surprising, I think, to to folks out there, because her aesthetic is like so gaudy, money, 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 but I think she looks amazing. Christine or Christine or Chelsea? Christine. Christine, I think, looks better than Chelsea. I think she has a higher taste level. Chelsea knows mm-hmm. how to dress for her body, but in 85% of what she wears is complete and total garbage. It's just <laughs> she looks like a pride, Ooh. like a like a pride parade float. Like it's it's garish. <laughs> um but anyways, Joe, when you get to the end of the season, text me about it. Oh, because I, I mean Chelsea. Chelsea is all I'll say. I'm loving it. I am really, it is just like, we've talked about this before that sometimes you just need, especially, my God, in the past week, the dumbest of television, just the absolute most garbage television. And it has been perfect right on time. Young or old? (laughs) (laughs) Fuck the olds, am I right? (laughs) Um, Definitely I guess being old is is gay and being young is (laughs) queer. <laughs> um, I, I guess I would I would choose young. I think I would choose young people. Unfortunately, I, I think that makes oh. me sound kind of gross, but I I, I definitely not. prefer the company of of the youths. No, I guess it's because I, I am one. Hello, my fellow kids. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, fellow children. Hello, children. Well, you certainly love dating them. Oh, <laughs> that's so so true. Not children. This is slanderous. Makes me sound like a predator. That is not what is happening here. Okay. Fran has to go big his boyfriend oh, up from college. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. The th- excuse me. The thoughts listening at home, the thoughts listening at home need this very important context because everyone else on this show is a fucking crone. So when I date someone, <laughs> when I date someone that's 25, they're like, oh my God, a fucking toddler. Oh my God, you're fucking cradle robber, fucking, fucking pig. Like, I that's a really good surprised. me impression. Yeah, actually, yes. <laughs> that is a very good impression of me. I'm just surprised whenever Fran is dating somebody who can get into the bar. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, yeah. like, squeeze me. That's only happened once. <laughs> and they were of age. Um, the 1990s or now, or the 2020s? The 1990s uh, or the 2020s? Uh, I can't. Um, the 90s. Yeah, when the, the biggest the, political problem we had was the president getting his dick sucked in the Oval Office. The 90s are gay. Sorry. The aughts are queer. I'll be, <laughs> I, think, I think the aughts for me. That wasn't the option. The option was the 2020s. This decade. The 2020s? I don't even yes. want to think about that. <laughs> Remember? Yeah. No. The ni- the, you, you forced us. You forced our hand. W- winter or Summer. Summer, summer, absolutely, one hundred percent. Summer's gay, winter's queer. Salty or sweet? (laughs) Salty, salty. Mm, Yeah, salty, queer. Summer, the salty, queer, sweet is gay. I think you got a little sugar in the tank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Top or bottom? Neither. Neither. (laughs) Period. (laughs) Abstinence. Those are not. That's not in the rules, baby. Uh, Cut or uncut? Uncut. Okay, obviously making any sort of like sexual decision based on whether or not you have an extra piece of skin on your penis is um, body fascism. But, but <laughs> that said, that said, love me an uncut gem. Okay. <laughs> um, you know what I really love actually is um, foreskin activists. Yes. You, oh, there. Yes, foreskin no, activists, I, man. Have you have you I, heard the, these like foreskin activists that like are regrowing their foreskin and they put these yes. like little like plastic like rings around their foreskin to like slowly stretch it's it. It's a over foreskin time? stretcher. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I actually wrote it. I was writing an essay about this that considers like uh, informed consent and what what we can do to our children in the in the light of the fact that the CRISPR. Cast nine, like genetically engineered babies were made um, to like quote unquote prevent transmission of HIV to them by their oh. father, which is like it was an insane thing to do to children who are not yet born. Um, oh my god, would read that essay? Yeah, it's it's gonna be a fun one. It's in the new book collection. But anyway, wow, um, I was not aware of this whole world. Bloodstained activists taking to the streets of Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> Bloodstained only no. in Pennsylvania. I, 
I no. want my foreskin back. Anti-circumcision protests at a corner of a Florida intersection. Okay. Out of there was all that, the things a, you can organize yeah, exa- around, exactly. it is iconic to be like, I want my foreskin back. And that <laughs> exactly. is my primary platform. Uh, there's definitely this uh, this van that drives around New York. I saw it in Union Square that is like that is like stop mutilating babies. You know what? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like you know, I think in general the child can't consent to it, and that's not ideal. But like you're saying, Fran, if this is your number one issue, the, the yeah. thing that gets you out in the morning, you know, the I, morning. I'm, not, I'm not docking yet. Like if if uh, there there's a lot there's a lot there are arguments to be made. There, I mean, not even arguments. There are things to you know be mad about. But like, yeah. um, there's also a lot of other things to be mad about. <laughs> yeah, there's, a way, there's a lot of other. There are a lot of other so, things to be know, mad about. No. I got two left. I got two left. Den or Teebs? We don't have to do this oh, one. Oh, we're doing this. Well, then Den. Absolutely. <laughs> Den, what do you think? Den is just nodding. Den. <laughs> Fran or me? Fran. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. fair. Fran. Teebs are 100%. No, that's fair. That's fair. I'll that's pick fair. you, Joe. Oh, baby, I don't need your pity pick. I would say, <laughs> I'll pick you. I pick you. <laughs> I would say you, I, I would say I'm queer in your gay though. Oh wow, Sign. bitch! I was queer when you were a fetus. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I really wish that you were cut right now because I could still I could say I was queer when you had foreskin. <laughs> <laughs> I really wish you were cut right now as a sentence that I never thought would be uttered to me and yet here we are I'm so glad that you know six or seven years ago we decided to make a podcast together <laughs> so that you would one day say that sentence oh god mm. let's get the oh, fuck dear. out of here <laughs> wow that is so funny we should do a whole episode about circumcision we should <laughs> next week <laughs> Mm, I think it's time we get to the meat of our discussion, the thought process, spelled T-H-O-T, and to, to sling our meat, I believe, Fran, Fran, our uncut meat, our uncut gem. Our uncut I, gem. Uncut. Mm. <laughs> okay, so thoughts. Listen, this year there was a bill in Florida, HB 1557, colloquially, colloquially known as the Don't Say Gay Bill. Okay. It was signed into law by um, a one human bog troll, Governor Ron DeSantis. Um, and there was a lot of public outrage about it. And like, I, I, you know, to be honest, I wasn't really one of those people that was like, all up in arms about it because like trans healthcare has been like under attack for the last like two years. And that has had like a lot of my primary focus, not that they're like things to pit against each other. However, um, despite public outrage and despite all of the anger, it still happened. Um, and I think the biggest controversy around that bill was its association with Disney, which I'm, I'm sure y'all heard about this slash. Did we even talk about it on the pod? I don't remember. I don't think so. So it had an association with Disney that had basically donated hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, it was this, I think they were the single largest donor to the bill. And so obviously people are mad at Disney. People are calling into question their morals. People are saying, you are, we're holding you accountable um, to, you know, fighting for the rights of LGBTQ people. And it took a really long time for Disney to actually come back with a real statement because the CEO was like, no, 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 like this is, has nothing to do with us. And they tried to make it not about them until finally, of course, as every institution does, they drafted a lazy ass press release and distributed it on Good Morning America. And in this press release, one of the things they said was the biggest impact we can have in creating a more inclusive world is through the inspiring content we produce. Mm. Which is to say that, you know, so long as we're donating to bills that literally say that queer and trans people shouldn't exist if you're under the age of third grade, we are going to, you know, give you one single gay character in a Beauty and the Beast action, live action remake and call it a day because that's just those are, you know, equal, equal at odds with each other. You know, those are those are, you know, fighting anyways. My point is. Uh, there are a lot of people, institutions, things at large that exploit 
the benefits of representation, so to speak, or what is quote unquote representation. Um, and blind a lot of people to the fact that they are actually doing a lot behind the scenes to do what is the opposite of representation's intentions, which is, you know, enfranchise marginalized people. And I guess, I don't know, I, I, I think we all have had so many different conversations around representation. I think we've had a previous episode about it, conversations about where it matters, where it doesn't. And I myself, I'm someone who, like, I'm writing a book about it. I've, like, dedicated a lot of my work to the effects of representation. And yet, I feel like it fails us every time. So is there a time where y'all felt like representation, so to speak, really failed you or was exploited for um, a bad reason? (laughs) I do. (laughs) Well, okay, and this gets into a larger point that I have. And, you know, inbox me if you need to. But um, I, I... in a, in a few of the writers' rooms that I've been in, um, you know, I've been trying. To, I've tried to create a space for queer characters, and and initially, it's met with a lot of enthusiasm, and people are like, "Yeah, yeah, oh, it's really, really cool if that character was queer. It would be really cool if that character was gay." Like, da da da. Everyone's, everyone's enthusiastic about it, and then when it comes to the notion of casting, um, you know, you've got this. Well, queer people should play queer people, right? And at the outset, that argument seems very simple. Like, oh, of course, absolutely, 100%. But what in reality, what you mean is out queer people should play queer characters. And you cannot legally ask an actor what their orientation is. They can offer it, but you can't, you can't ask them their age. You can't ask them their sexuality. There's so many things legally you can't do. So that's the first tear. The second tear is... Unlike something like indigeneity, um, sexuality is dynamic and it changes. And just because that person isn't at that place on their journey at that moment doesn't mean they won't maybe playing that character unlocks something for them. You know, I, I, I far be it for me to to um, dictate another person's sexual orientation. Thirdly, I what ends up happening is because there are. um because because the casting is the way that it is, um, and because you can't ask an actor's orientation, um, if the person if the person in charge is too fearful of a backlash that like mm. the, they can't find a queer actor to play a queer character, then they just make that character straight, and then everyone's fucking straight. Mm. And it's way more important to me to like because. I've, I've had the opportunity to play a queer character on a television show that I wrote. And I, it was some, but if it wasn't me, I, I would have still preferred that character be queer, even if I wasn't the one cast in it, even if that person was straight. And here's why. Because a kid turning on that television, t- t- turning on that TV, seeing a queer character as an adult, they don't care. They don't know if that actor's queer or not. That kid seeing a, some, a version of themselves who makes it to adulthood could be incredibly inspiring for that person and wanting to live. And it's way more important to me that that kid sees a queer character than like five college educated people on Twitter who want to rant about <laughs> representation have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it. Mm. You have a problem with it if you want to make that your platform. But I'm, I think it's way more important that the character than the actor be the thing. And... And I don't, I, I think we should try to strive for inclusivity, mm-hmm. but like, but if, if the end result ends up being, well, if you can't find the queer actor, then the, then the character becomes straight, then fucking just keep the character queer. I don't know. That's how I feel. That's how the shortcomings of representation have kind of like mm-hmm. failed me or <clears throat> jaded me into the process of, of writing in Hollywood. Well, Teams, I think it's like a classic example of a good intention and a historical marginalization, which is that gay actors, out gay actors would not have a career in Hollywood. Like, that was just the reality of it. Qu- queer character or not. And if you did have a queer character, it had to be a straight actor playing that character, like in Brokeback, so that the audience sort of has this remove or this release valve, that it, it there's a sort of, like, sense of, like, oh, we, we can sell more tickets if the audience knows these are straight actors playing queer characters. All of that is real, right? What t- Everything Teeb says is not to erase that context, that mm-hmm. his, that historical marginalization 
um, the thing that we should be fighting for, which is that queer actors should be able to have careers. But what happens when that gets taken on by a capitalist PR machine and by a capitalist company is they, they're more worried about the backlash than they are about making great art and making the right decisions. And they're more worried. Yeah. They don't understand. Period. They don't understand the, the nuance of the dialogue. They don't understand the nuance of like, well, if this character maybe has a fluid sexuality or the actor has a fluid sexuality or this is the right actor for the right thing and otherwise it's not going to get made or just how to not treat queer people like shit all the time such that each particular instance has to be a problem. It's like it gets so flattened and so reduced and they're just about making money. They're not about making art. You know, and and they that's that's where I think it gets back to what we talked about last time. It's like they're not being honest w- with us about what they want to do. Mm-hmm. What they want to do is make money. Period. <laughs> and if they get us to consume a TV show that's good art, that is usually a trick that a bunch of people have played on them <laughs> to convince them that that good art can also make good money. So I don't know why we're looking to these people to be leaders in. <sighs> quote unquote representation or social justice or making great art. I think that's kind of what's what gets lost in the conversation of queer actors and queer roles or or any kind of extension of that conversation is that the reasons we're mad or the reasons we call for accountability around those kinds of things are kind of lost because we think about representation for representation's sake as opposed to what is going to tell the best queer story. And let me tell you, there are some amazing, amazing queer and even I would challenge trans stories that have been played by straight and cis actors. And like, that doesn't mean that it's like a perfect piece of art. That doesn't mean that it's all around like a golden item for like LGBTQ media, but it's still a good story and still meant a lot to queer people. And so to me, the conversation is around like, what is the kind of end goal? And, and Teebs, you know, I'm going to cross swords a little bit on, on, on the, uh, the legality of, um, you know, when when producers say, oh, you can't legally ask, you know, whether someone's queer or not when you cast them. It's like true. That's true. Yeah, you legally can't do that. But um, I've never been under the impression that Hollywood at large was an entity that was interested in following laws. Like, I, <laughs> I, I don't really, I, I do feel like um, there are a lot of legally hairy things that institutions and Hollywood at large has um, circumvented, accomplished, you know, gone through back doors to make their thing happen. So if you're going to tell me that all of a sudden the laws matter because you want to cast Love, Victor and Love, Simon with straight people... Like, I'm just not, that's just, that, that, that won't fly with me. And as someone who's been inside the belly of the beast, I know for a fucking fact that you can ask, that you're going, that you have no problem asking fundamentally problematic or heinous things to people in this industry um, against legal counsel. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and I probably shouldn't even share this, but like recently a friend of mine who's a filmmaker called me and was basically like, he's making a film that's kind of queer. And he was like, oh, like we we kind of cast someone and we just found out that they're not queer. And like, um, like, am I going to get canceled for this? And blah, blah, blah. Like, will you support it? And I was like, first of all, bro, you're asking the wrong questions. Like, am I going to get canceled for this is like not the question. Like, So let's evaluate your rubric on this, because if your rubric is to not get canceled, like you failed. If And if you're interested in serving your community or figuring out what a good story is, like you've probably failed that too. And and he was like, and I didn't say it like that. I said it in a very diplomatic and probably ego-coddling way. But I he said something to the effect of like, um, he was like, oh, like we auditioned over a thousand people for this role and blah, blah. And I said, I, I said, all due respect, if I was in your position and I didn't find a queer person after a thousand auditions, I would audition another thousand. Like I, 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 I just point blank period. Like that's where I would be, and that doesn't right. have to be but every not film. Not everyone, 
But not everyone is interested in that. And there are a ton of unscrupulous people who will just, and who like don't have the energy. And like, I feel for you, Fran, I would do the same thing. When it came to these characters that I wanted to introduce into these television shows, I was like, well, you just did nationwide castings for blah, 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 yeah. blah. So can we just get some of that energy for the queer? There is a queer actor for this role. Mm-hmm. They're out there. We just haven't found them yet. We need to do a little digging. And not everyone is interested in doing that kind of work. And not everyone actually has the resources, you know? Not everyone has the the bandwidth. Not everyone has the timeline. You know, I understand that Hollywood, more than almost any other industry. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ...comes with a very unique kind of heartbreak, disappointment, and compromise that artists have to make in order to get the thing that they want done, done, you know? Um, and I myself, like, if I, if, if, if I wrote a book and it was being adapted for a show or a, a movie, like, if, if, you know, at the end of, if after everything, I still couldn't find a queer person to play the queer role, like, I don't know, maybe I would cave too. But like, I, I really feel like in my heart of hearts, like that is something I would not compromise for. But that's only because, just as you said, Teebs, that that's like what my metric is. And if it's not yeah. your metric as an artist, that's fine. But don't make excuses for it. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and also there... If it was my, like what you said, Fred, was was perfect. If it was my project, if it was my book, if it was my thing, it would be important to me. These things aren't mine. And so I can try as hard as I can to like, Im- to imbue queerness into it. But if that, if the person, if the boss isn't interested in it, then you, I, it's, it becomes out of your hands. Yeah. In thinking a lot about this conversation, I think so much about my friend Imar's project Open TV. Uh, he's a professor at Northwestern in Chicago. Uh, and they are like, they're like ground up queer black and brown representation. And they like just make shit with people who are not yet in Hollywood. Right. And and they were the ones who started that brown girl show, which I think is with Fatima, your friend. Yeah, Fatima. Yeah. 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 And, 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 you know, that's like, a, they're trying to take it in a whole other model where it's like, we start with the community first and see what they're trying to make and then give them the resources to make that with Hollywood style production and then see if Hollywood can actually just g- work with those people for whom representation is baked in, mm-hmm. who are telling stories about their own communities, for whom hiring the right actor for the right role isn't even a question because they're so tied in to that community that it's just an afterthought that they would have a person with a, 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 an incredible like with an incredible connection to the character whether that's the same identity or a connection to the community it doesn't matter it's just like these questions of am i going to get canceled for this are not asked of people like that who are actually making art about their shit yeah exactly okay but one that's too logical mm-hmm. like that's straight up yeah. too logical and two what that actually requires is a cognizance and a willingness to take the power that one has and actually hand some of it over so that you may not be in control of it and other folks are and we all know that gatekeepers and people who have power often are really really scared um of doing that and decentering themselves in the in the conversation and that's sort of what goes that goes back to what Fran was saying to about the friend who was like am i going to get canceled like if your first first question is are you going to get canceled um 
that's a huge problem for a bunch of reasons. And ultimately, the capitalist, to me, in my mind, the capitalist construct is the reason why it's so hard for people to break out of that mode of thinking. But what I wanted to say is sort of going back to Fran's initial question, like my first thought when I thought about representation was not so much about media representation, public this, public that, and how that plays out into what entities are actually doing. I was thinking a lot more about like myself when I was in high school and I came out and I was, you know, one of two or three gay kids in a school of 400 in a really, really oppressive and scary place. Um, And I think about that because I remember being really out, starting the Gay Straight Alliance at my school, being told by some faculty members and administrators that what I was doing was so brave and that they wanted the school to be a really safe place for me. And then knowing that so many of the other people in the context of that school who had the power and who ran things did not care if it was a safe place for me or not. And so when I think about all of, and you know, and all of the different things that I endured um, and survived just to get out of that school alive and functional and able to go on to college and live my life. And one of the only things that got me through was me being like, like, I can get out of this place and I won't have to deal with this when I go to college in the same way. And so when I hear everything that all of you are talking about, there's like the political ramifications and the capital and the capitalist ramifications and all of that. But there's also simply, um, to me, when I think about the heart of representation, it's it's that all of this is designed supposedly or is 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 intended to to you know, make that environment safer for that queer kid. Like, that's the whole point, ultimately, right? Like, like that's the whole point. And it, and it does fail on so, many re- on, on so many levels and for so many reasons. And so for me, like, yeah, Queer Eye was on TV when I was in high school. Um, you know, Lawrence V. Texas happened when I was in high school. Will and Grace was on TV when I was in high school. And also, my entire freshman year, boys were beating me up because and sexually harassing me because they thought I was gay. I wasn't out yet, but they thought I was gay and and queer and all of that. And, you know, representation failed me hugely. And it's failing people so much. And so, at the end of the day... Maybe I'm thinking about this a little bit differently than I used to because of the position I'm in now. But at the end of the day, um, it has to be about so much more than just what we're seeing on TV. Because, like, these things are not going to... They're going to change some hearts, yes, but they're not going to change all hearts. And some hearts are not going to be changed, but that doesn't mean that actions and behaviors can't be changed. Um, And, I don't know, that's what I'm thinking about. Well, remember when we had that moment where everyone was like, gay marriage is over. Will and Grace fixed it. We never, we're good now. We're going to be, I remember there were people talking about, oh, we're going to have to shut down like GLAAD and other gay rights organizations because they're not going to have anything to work on anymore. See, didn't Will and Grace fix everything? And like, look at where we are now. That was insane. Yeah. Do you ever literally know? I mean, can we even, I I have to say like, I mean, I was a huge Will and Grace fan as well, but like something that you're kind of getting at then is that, and, and something that I think, it's particularly, um, I think, a great example of where representation fails us is like when the when something like that takes up so much space, so much space where Joe Biden is like Will and Grace did more for queer people than almost any more to educate on queer people more than anything. It's like even if that even if there's like truth to that, even if there's truth to the fact that like public sentiment around queer people did improve because of Will and Grace or you know, marriage equality or all these different things, like that is giving too much credit to something that we as like TV makers and filmmakers are still paying for. And because mm-hmm. because uh, someone like Jack McFarlane is now the archetype for an effeminate faggot, we as a culture have been unable to accept a lot of queer people because we need it to be Jack, you know? And that's not Mm -hmm. me placing blame on Will and Grace. That's not Will and Grace's fault. That is our society at large and scarcity mentality that has like flattened these images to be like, well, everyone's Jack, you know what I mean? Um, But yeah, I still feel like we are paying, I I still feel like there are ramifications today that Mm -hmm. for LGBTQ representation at large because something like Will and Grace took up so much space. 
It's the da- it's the danger it's the danger of the single story. Yep. I'm not a Chibamanda. To- no Chibamanda. Dan, you know what? Though? She, she doesn't right. own those she words. Right. She doesn't She's own not those wrong words. about that. Okay. She doesn't own those words. Um, see, I was gonna try to get through without even mentioning the name, but she she doesn't own the <laughs> well, words. Joe loves but what I was gonna say Chimamanda, too. His favorite author, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. His favorite authors are Chumamanda Ngozi Adichie and David Foster Wallace. And J.K. Wow. Rowling. Uh, no. uh, and J.K. No, Rowling's pen name, Robert Galbraith. I, listen, y'all, y'all all look the same to me. Um, no, what I was going to say is that I will also say, and th- this has to do with my own, my own role in publishing now where I am being the only um, black openly trans person in a like high level powerful role in publishing and there are different things that I'm working on doing that I can't talk about yet because I haven't secured them yet we're working towards it but what I will say is that I have so much of a better understanding of Fran as and Fran both now and Fran even when we first started out where I'm like I'm like there are so many moments where it feels like things are better, but then you still look at the top who has the power. And at the end of the day, like in publishing, we're talking about all these black people who've ascended to high levels of power, who are like VPs and publishers of imprints, like Lisa Lucas, Rakia Clark, um, Tracy Sherrod, when she was at Amazon, all these different people who are in powerful positions. And we're like, oh, this is going to change publishing. And it is changing publishing and it's having an impact. But at the end of the day, they all they all answer to white people. Their bosses, the people with the real power are still white, straight, cisgender people. Right. And so when I think about um, representation, when I think about the idea that there is a huge diversity of stories that still needs to be told, when I think about the fact that for so long, the definitive narratives on TV about gay people were Will and Grace, Ellen, and Modern Family. I think about the fact that at the end of the day, that's just a portion of all the different space that storytelling, that we can occupy in storytelling. And the only way truly to change it is to change who has the power. That is the only way to do it. And so when I, th- when I think about early conversations with Fran, I'm like, oh, I get this. I get certain things. I get why, why, like the idea of wanting power and influence. I get that now because at the end of the day, like you have to change who has the power at the top to actually make sustainable change that can trickle down in a way that might really impact, um, you know, these things that we're talking about, you know, public sentiment, you know, that's the kind of thing that might make it so that someone like Ron DeSantis never gets elected again, even in fucking Florida. I feel like you're saying Fran is a monster for a reason. This is like her villain origin story. My villain origin story. And I think also, Dan, you're saying that like power is won through the barrel of a gun, which is, you're going full Maoist. We have to take those powerful people out, take them out one by one. Yes. It is so Chairman Mao, yes. I feel like I just want to say, and I talk about this all the time on the show, but Jose Munoz's um, essay uh, in Disidentifications on Pedro from the real world uh, talks about the fact that we can never trust capitalist media to have any interest in changing the status quo. That's not what capitalist mm-hmm. media does. But we can decide what he says is we can disidentify with capitalist media. We can engage with capitalist media in a way that they're not expecting to actually get something made that does the pedagogical goal or achieves the artistic goal. But we always have to understand our relationship to that power. And I actually kind of disagree mm-hmm. with Dan. It's not I don't think it is about changing the people at the top because often even if they do put in a queer person or a person of color, the values remain what supremacist the values true. remain cis heteropatriarchal so i it's burning I it think, down i think in this moment it's about being so strategic and doing this process of disidentification where you can use the power as it exists to make something that actually challenges the the status quo and finding colleagues and friends and comrades where you feel like you can all do that project together and but, you know but the thing about oh sorry go ahead no you first I was going to say that the, the, but the problem is power. It's always going to be a problem. If you change who's in power, that, like, that, like, over and over and over again, if you look at revolutions and wars, it's like people rising up and then oppressing people below them. It's people rising up and oppressing people below them because of the nature of power. And that's the thing is, like, more often than not, the culprits or people in power are, like, invisible, like a lot of times the things we're actually mad at like are not the ones that we're blaming and i think a lot of times especially when when we get into like more social driven conversations around like 
when we're angry on the internet, like, I think a lot of our anger is usually very misdirected. Um, but mm. I think a, a kind of um, a, an opposite example of that is like the Netflix of it all when the Dave Chappelle thing happened. Like, we really did find the content execs that were behind it all, you know, not all of them, of course, but like when we think about an institution that, you know, on paper, like Netflix is. Um, you know, kind of the, the the entity behind what a lot of people called the trans tipping point with Laverne Cox on the cover of Time. You know, they are the largest, I think, the, I think a few years in a row, like have the most trans characters out of any other, you know, network or all these different things that make Netflix great or whatever. And little do we know that the whole time there are like, you know, white people making tens of millions of dollars a year um, that have no interest in that at all and will yeah. always have an allegiance to money. And or even if they do, even if they do, that interest will never supersede their interest in protecting their own money and following the money. And that's exactly There's... why it took weeks for Disney to release this press statement. Is It took like nationwide protests, literal marches, like petitions, all the shit for them to understand that, not that, you know, they wanted to be on the right side of history, but that it is marketable to support queer and trans people, that it is they good all, for business. They all want, they all want their, every single studio, every single production company, every single boss in this town wants that moment where the where the actor, the actress, or whoever gets up on stage or the director and they talk about diversity. They all want that award show speech, but they don't want to invest any actual effort in like supporting those people. There's so like and even when you've got like people on the lower levels who are queer or or, you know, POC or whatever, trans, like they so this is I can't tell you how many times I've been in meetings trying to get this feature off the ground. Queer in, in, indigenous writer, uh, 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 indigenous woman director, you know, they all want that supposedly, but there's so many times when I get into this lower level where the people are browner or queer or whatever, and they're like, this is great. We've never seen anything like this before. And they send it up the chain. And once it gets to the top, that white person is like, uh, I've never really seen anything like this before. So I don't know if we can do this. It's over and over and over mm -hmm. and over. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they actually have the power to do it. And there are so many, and there's so many other excuses as well that they come with, that they come up with beyond that. And I, I yeah. think that's why, you know, I, I ultimately like, I'm going to be proud of the person that had to make a compromise in order to get the thing that they want because it's already so fucking hard. And I know that I one day am going to like make something that's going to transcend mainstream and I'm going to have had to make compromises to get there. And it might not be exactly to my vision as someone who cares a lot about these things. Um, just, but like, I think that that is like all the more power for you to try and do something on your own without an institution, mm -hmm. if you can, um, even if it's like the barest bones version. I just wish my, my true wish is that people stopped being surprised when mm -hmm. Netflix or Disney so shows us who they are. Like okay. the, the shock mm -hmm. needs to go away. The fact that Netflix has a huge number of, you know, um, people of color in starring roles or has a, you know, was on the forefront of trans representation. They, they did that for that show because that was right for that show to fit, to make money, to make that the best show possible. Mm -hmm. They are in no way invested in the movement. They're not, they're a company. They're not movement workers, mm -hmm. you know, and the fact that they did something good once, okay, who fucking cares? That does not show you their institutional values. And we need to stop being surprised when we find out that a bunch of woo-woo, uh, good for queer, good for trans, or good for POC, quote-unquote, representation, was actually just marketing. It was yeah. just marketing. And that's all it is. And it, refle it reflects nothing of institutional values. That's what we need to take as the get. The get is that that company doesn't is not going to save us. That company's not going to save us, so we have to save ourselves. And we have to constantly be pushing, pushing, pushing to make our art, to enact our politics. Because fucking Disney or Netflix, those billionaires are not going to save us. Nope. You know, I think my wish, honestly, is not for people to stop being surprised, but for people, because, like, honestly, everyone's always going to be an idiot. Like, people are always going to be surprised. It's fine. Like, yeah. and honestly, sometimes surprise and shock mobilizes, and that's fine, too. It's not always the best, but it happens. I think for me, it's like, I just really want people to know what they're, what they, they're asking for. 
Because I think mm-hmm. a lot of people that yell on social media mm-hmm. have no idea what they mm-hmm. want. And I think that, mm-hmm. I mean, to bring it back to the conversation of queer actors and queer role, or not bring it back to the conversation, but to use it as an example, like, if if someone, if, I mean, maybe this is, like, erroneous to say it, but, like, if, if a project is being announced and they've cast a straight person as a gay character, like, I personally, I'm, like, not going to be mad about it until I see the thing. Because, like, if I watch a thing and it actually was a good time, like, I, I probably, I'm going to eat my words on that one. You know what I mean? But, like, if I watch it and it was bad, like, then I'm going to be, like, because, because ultimately what I want is a good story. And I think that a lot of people out there ultimately want a good story, a story that is life-giving, a story that does what representation does, which shifts perspectives, changes lives, like changes legislation. Like it does all that thing and all those things. And it's not the end goal. It is not the end, the, like the resolution to movement work, but it is something. Um, and that's something can come and from straight no actors. One, no one was mad at Barry Jenkins for making Moonlight. Yes. Because yes. it's fucking, because it's it was fucking, amazing. Because it was fucking amazing. good. Because it was great. Fucking I've never, it was I've exceptional. Seen, I've never seen faggots mad about Carol. No one, no <laughs> one asked if the child in Moonlight is queer. The kids He's are a child. Right is still one of my favorite movies. Like, Just make, <laughs> make it fucking good. Make it fucking <sighs> good. And to bring it back to the, you know, Florida of it all and the Disney and also to, to scoop in Joe's thing about not being surprised, like talking about like kids on grade three and lower, like, can you think of a single institution that is res- that is more responsible than Disney at creating uh, binary gender roles for Ooh, those kids. Period. You know what I mean? Like, and talking about and sleeping beauties and princes and princesses and like that kind of shit. Like, that's all sexual orientation, gender shit. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Then don't watch Disney until you're after third grade or whatever. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like if, oh god, I mean to get to get into the thick of that whole bill nonsense would be, I mean. It's far too tempting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know, y'all. No, nobody ne- ne- does. Next, ne- next week we'll have to have a Judith Butler read where we sit and talk about gender trouble and the fact that things are only named as gender or sexuality when they deviate from the norm. That's what you're talking about, Teeb. It's like it's yeah. like little boys who are in like second grade are like, ooh, is that your girlfriend? By their parents. It's like, no, you know, and that is deemed as not sexuality Please, when of course fucking gen- gender reveal parties oh, indoctrination from before you're even out the womb girl. okay it's the same thing it's like when white people don't realize that they're white yeah um so i, I just i guess i have like um i kind of a philosophical question that will eventually hammer out in another episode but um a lot of times in this conversation of representation there's this like kind of word of authenticity that's kind of used. And I think it's really evasive. And like, I myself have a really hard time figuring out like what an authentic quote unquote story is and who is the one doing the authentication and by whose standards is it authentic? Because like, I mean, honestly, like Love, Simon, like when when that movie was, or no, it was Love, Victor. I think when that movie was cast, the showrunners were like, we think that he was the most authentic to play the role. Like they said that. So by their standards, this is, so like, I think for y'all, like what does like authenticity mean to you on a representational perspective? Like how do you sort through like that in general, whether it's how you tell your own stories or how you evaluate stories or like, what does like authenticity even mean to you? Right. I mean, this is, is, is a, a philosophical can of worms and <laughs> we've kind of, we, we did we, on our uh, Tin House talk, we kind of talked about stuff like this, which mm. was like, who gets to tell what stories and what voices. And, and especially if you're in the realm of make believe so many of the perspective and stories aren't going to be your own. And so what does authenticity mean in that? And I guess like, this is, a, a more of a woo-woo one, but like it, it comes down to character for mm. me. Like the the characters, if I can believe the characters' motivation, if I can believe the characters' reasoning, if I can believe that situated in that world, that's how the character would act, feel, do, be, etc. I guess that's kind of a, approaching what authenticity means, but it's not it entirely. I mean, it's like a parabola. Like I don't, I don't know where it where where wh- i don't know the answer <laughs> yeah yeah i i 
agree with that um, very closely. And I'm prepared to just retire the word. I don't think I've thought about the word authentic when I think about my own writing and fiction um, in many, many, many years, because it has never been a word that had any meaning to me. Like, even I would say before it became so much of a part of the public discourse, like, people were like, oh, this is so authentic. And I was like, what? I just never, it it, it just was like, it's like a smoke screen yeah. to me. It doesn't, it's a smoke screen. It doesn't mean anything. It never gave me any sort of concrete way of understanding how I wanted to craft something or the effect that I wanted a story to have on a reader. So I don't use it. I don't think of it. I don't use it. I think that it's kind of bullshit. And I think that a lot of times, and I think maybe you are getting at this, but a lot of times when people are set, are declaring that something is or isn't authentic, they are the people who probably have, should be the last ones to have that decision-making power over whatever they're talking about. You can say that again. And that's why they even need to use that word. Because if the piece were really authentic to them, they wouldn't even have to say that. They would be able to say something more specific, like character, like motivation, mm-hmm. like cycle, like psychology, like emotional heft. Emotional heft. I have a question for you, D. Mm-hmm. When your novel becomes a movie, who's going to play the main character? Scarlett Johansson. I don't know, but I have thought Scarlett Johansson! <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Oh, yes. Yes, yes black trans woman, Scar- Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. Scarlett Johansson and Army Hammer. Absolutely. Honestly, like, I feel, honestly, she, she's, she's gone through it so much, I almost feel like I'm punching down. <laughs> <laughs> Poor girl. Poor Scar. You know, I'm feeling... Full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Dad knows how I feel. Mm. And this week, uh, I want to talk about a book once again. I know boo books, um, but it's called Blood, Sweat, and Chrome: The Wild True Story of Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, um, it was Ooh. written by. I mean, I'm a little bit biased. My friend wrote it, Kyle Buchanan, but um, it's as an odyssey of a film. The Odyssey of, in the narrative of the film, as an Odyssey, this is also the Odyssey of it getting made is equally as challenging as uh, uh, fraught. Every single part of it, I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's such a great film is that every single part of it reflected what the film ended up being. There's so much about how it was made and how it was cast and, and how it was like the, the danger of it and like the, the spectacle of it all. And so much of it is like, it's, it's, a completely cohe like its process and its product it seemed like a really cohesive um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, unit. But the book itself is so well written, so well done, so well researched, so well curated. It's it feels like a really really good documentary. Like because mm-hmm. it, it does kind of take the talking head format. There are like extensive, exhaustive interviews with everyone from the filmmakers to the extras and. Mm. There is, and the way that Kyle weaves in the like, the sort of statement paragraphs with then just like the series of talking heads and then the statement paragraphs, it feels like intimate and frustrating and boisterous and, and, and feverish. I mean, it, it's, it's such a, a such a well, like the, the book, the process and the film are just so, um, well uh translated into each other kyle Mm. is like one of my most favorite critics ever i you know haven't read this book but like i i i can feel just as you're describing it like the arc of like what it took to make that movie and and for it to become honestly one of the greatest movie sequels of all time like uh, and i i yeah i i you know his writing i'm sure is like incredible for this um and i i would love to actually watch the documentary for him can he make it into a documentary that would be awesome i mean and also this it's like it's got like this the pace of it and the reveals i mean it's it's like an excellent i don't know attorney like like some it's it feels almost like courtroom theater as well mm. which mm. which is just um but it's but it, it but the process was and so was the thing and like it's it's interesting that like there wasn't even a script for a really long time it was just like a series of storyboards like 300 storyboards and which makes sense because there's almost no dialogue in the film it's right. all images and wow. Yeah, uh, so I definitely recommend it. It's propulsive. It's vigorous. Like you'll get through it in two days. Like it's just, I, it's impossible for me to put it down once I start it. 
I'm so there's so many amazing books coming out this spring. I'm gonna do a book yeah. for an upcoming dessert that I'm devouring right now. It's just Ooh. what a time what a time yeah. to be alive and uh, and reading. Same, same. It's a, it's really exciting. Yeah. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our home at Stitcher. Our producer is the boisterous Bucatini, Alexandra Bucatini. That's a Bucatini! <laughs> Subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes, or I make you listen to hours of Joe breathing into the mic. No! <laughs> Uh, I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs on Instagram because I deleted Twitter. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco anywhere you want and listen to my new podcast, Like a Virgin. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at my website, josephosmondson.com, where you can also pre order Virology, which is out in a month's time. Oh Ooh. my God. I know. And I'm Den Michelle Norris, and you can find me on Twitter and, at, and Instagram at the Den Michelle. And keep an eye on my editorial pursuits at Electric Literature. Woo! Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dicks to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thoughts spelled how? T H O T. Bye. I think you guys got it that time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.